0: You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges. And follow our website at friendsofeurope.org.
1: My name is Tamsin Rose and let me extend my welcome to you on behalf of Friends of Europe. I'm a senior fellow there. Today we're going to be exploring... Home-based care, patient-centric care, what it is and how can we make that more of a reality than it is today in Europe. So I have an extremely uh, distinguished panel and I will just make a brief introduction before we move into that conversation. But first of all, what's the concept we're talking about? Patient-centric care, when it is delivered at home, is more than self-care. It's more than apps and technology that tell you when to take your pill or help you to take your blood pressure. What we're talking about here is a major shift towards delivering in a community setting, in a home-based setting, the kind of complex, technical, highly skilled interventions that are normally delivered in an acute setting in a hospital. This is the kind of care and treatment that we're talking about for people with long-term, life-threatening conditions that may need to do an intervention for a long period of time or even for the rest of their lives. For these patients, having to spend time traveling to a hospital on a regular basis, sometimes several times a week, sitting around for a long time, waiting for therapies, sometimes these therapies take several hours to be delivered, all of that is a huge Burden for them, their families, and their time, and it affects their life chances, their work chances, etc. So, enabling some of that to be li- delivered at home, perhaps at a time of their convenience, with friends or family around, carers, and professional support when they need it. This is truly what we might be talking about when we talk about patient centric care. And at Friends of Europe, we carried out a working group and a series of conversations looking at what this mandate for the European institutions 2014-2019 could do. And one of the elements we came up with strongly is patient empowerment. Focus on it and make it at the heart of policy-making decisions. We also said that health systems should stop doing things that don't work anymore. Focus on building the evidence to understand what works and disinvest in old, redundant, outdated practices. So this conversation is part of that ongoing piece of work. And we've recently been putting together a document that um, will be published in the coming weeks looking at disruptive innovation in healthcare. And that also identified a number of points that our speakers will pick up around the incentives in the system and how that's linked to the behaviour of the actors in the system. The issue of evidence... What evidence do you need to create the change, to invest in something different? And how do you build confidence and trust amongst all players in the system to do different things? And our speakers will be able to pick up on each of these different elements. So that's what we're talking about today how to deliver patient centered care in a more convenient, home based environment. And our first speaker, I'm going to turn to Andre Rees, who's very well-known, I'm sure, to this audience, from Sante, and he's the Director for Health Systems, Medical Products, and Innovation. Given that the Commission has got a very clear focus on supporting health systems to be more effective, more efficient, and to deliver more for patients, how do you see home-based care fitting into that broader picture?
2: Thank you, Tamis. Um, good, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I was attracted by this meeting as a crossfire. So I'm waiting for the fire. Okay, so it's, uh, let's start. Friendly fire. Okay. <coughs> it's coming, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let me uh, say a few words about the number of initiatives we, we are doing, the commission trying to help with this concept. We start from the the one I am, I am very close uh, involved, um, uh, which is the... Health system performance assessment uh, work. Uh, so I am doing some uh, uh, advertisement here. I hope it's allowed. And uh, and this is the group which was formed by um, experts of member states a number of years ago because of the intrinsic question of how we measure what we are doing, you know, and, and can we agree? And I think that maybe we start from the two, 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 two important lessons from this process because we did work on quality, and the first report was about the quality and the, and how we measure quality and the second is on integrated care, and the third one uh, is uh, primary healthcare. And, and I think it's interesting also, as you see the, in all these three, three, three reports, you can imagine the patients and the, and the, uh, the, the other, of course, important uh, focus of this exercise. And um, in the second report, which was recently published, which I really welcome you to, to, to read, we we're we looking for the uh, common denominator for, for 28, which is always tricky because we are dealing with uh, different systems, we are dealing with different culture, we are dealing with different experience. And it was the same problem with the, with the first quality report when we, for example, discuss. let's pick up the quality uh, indicator about the, how we treat uh, successfully uh, diabetes, you know, and, and what is the link between the uh, primary health care or, or, or hospital care and finally the outcome. And, of course, you know, when you go country by country, you will find this is a this is completely uh, different uh, way of measuring the outcome because of different structures. In one country, you have primary health care uh, developed. You have home care. You have the the right uh, support from professionals. When in others, you simply the system doesn't work this way, and then you have to, to see different different uh, situations. So what what was interesting in this part of work, uh, the member states experts agreed about the, the blocks. You know, what is the integrated care, and studied different of... Uh, basically, we did study number of models and, and, and best practices in 30 regions of the European <coughs> Union. And it was also interesting when you go uh, in this field, you, you, you don't have very much national policy developed, but you have a number of, of developments in regions or in local settings, cities or, or, or small, small, small uh, communities. We agreed 11 important uh, elements blocks successful stories. One is the political support and commitment. The second is governance, the third one is stakeholders engagement, I mean all doctors, nurses, payers and, and, and organisers and the rest. Uh, organizational ch- changes. I mean this is those success stories didn't happen because somebody had imagination. It really was the system pushed this. <laughs> Leadership. I mean this was a really critical factor which we discussed in a number of cases. if if it was no it was always somebody behind the, the story collaboration and trust, because I think this is the next critical factor which often we, we miss in our debate. And then, of course, workforce education and training. I mean, this is my hobby, so I maybe we'll discuss more, you know, how we can move if we if, you know, train people to do job, Also, patients, families. Patient focus, and empowerment. I mean, patients should be, of course, in the center, but, you know, they should be in the, in the, in the whole system. Financi- f- financing instrument, initiatives to do the job properly. Uh, finally, ICT infrastructure. This was really critical, you know. And no one this system was operating without kind of uh, IT, IT, IT solution infrastructure. And finally, monitoring evaluation system. I mean, we, what we, whatever we do, I mean, we should convince, you know, finally, the rest, political uh, level or payers or uh, 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 colleagues from the from the, our our own professional cycle it makes sense, so I will start from these uh, eleven points because I think they are quite important in this debate you know ready to put this in the context of this eleven i don 't know whether it 's not seven or ten or twelve eleven to okay. to make success stories
1: great thank you so you 've identified for us these eleven key areas that you see as critical to helping make this this change to uh, more, greater quality-based care. Let me now turn to Santiago Delgado from uh, one of the vice presidents for international business development of the Ribeiro Salad Group, which is, of course, very well known for having developed the Alzira model of integrated care. Now, that was a dramatic change in the way healthcare was designed, financed, managed, and delivered. So you've been through a process of change. Some of those elements that Andre identified for us, I'm sure, are familiar to you, the importance of political support and governance and involvement of stakeholders. What can you tell us about your process of introducing a change and making sure that all the people, all the elements within it, worked together?
3: Okay, thank you for your question and thank you for the interactions. Well, uh, first of all, I, I, I would like to say that uh, this is a process, so it's a still work in progress and will continue to be work in progress because when we talk about uh, public health care providing a public service, at the end of the day we are talking about people and about uh, cultural change. So this is something that never, never reaches to an end. Okay. Innovation is, uh, is something that keeps on moving and change keeps on moving. So we need to constantly readapt to the needs of our to meet the, the expectations of our, of our uh, citizens, basically. Uh, so we got started 17 years ago in Valencia, in the region of Valencia. We now provide a public health care. We are a private company providing public service under an NHS frame. Uh, free at point of delivery, funded through taxis, universal access. We are providing uh, health care for 800,000 people in the region of Valencia, Whole, four uh, fully integrated systems, a hospital and a number of primary care centers, four hospitals, more than 100 primary care centers. And we are, um, this process is based in four key ideas. Thinking of a national health service it is important to think about introducing flexibility. This is achieved through this PPP approach, so we as a private company we have wider ability to introduce change and ability rather com- compared to the traditionally publicly run system. The second idea, which is on the very basis of our model, is capitation, and this links engaged directly with the idea of uh, patient-centric systems, we are are fully accountable for the global healthcare outcomes of our catchment area, of our given population, okay? So it is healthcare, ultimately, what it is financed. It is not activity, it is not fee-for-service. It is actually doing the right thing, right person, right moment, right place, right cost. Third idea, as a tool, how to get there through integration from a fragmented system different stakeholders into a more integrated system where everybody is aligned around the common interest which is what's best for the citizen not only the patient the citizen as a concept okay so we need to align the, the interests of the different of the different stakeholders and finally networking we cannot expect all hospitals providing full range of portfolio you know, tertiary services, we need to think about how to share, how to um, implement synergies. and uh, How do we, ha, ha, how we actually implement this? Based in what we call the triangle of success, which is very simple. It is about clinical management, putting in hands of our professionals the tools they need to perform well-informed state-of-the-art medicine Second is of course our people. This is about educating our people, attracting talent, developing talent, retaining talent. So we need to come up with an innovative way of remunerating our professionals through a variable incentive scheme, through some professional career, new ideas about rewarding our professionals, and then very, very, very important, all these things underpinned by very strong, reliable IT solutions. We were the first systems in Spain developing our own electronic medical record. It is fully integrated. It's cross-functional. It covers the whole process. It guarantees the continuum of care at all levels of care, and it includes not only clinical information, but also financials, logistics, HR, many other things. Okay. So this is the, the, the basics of what I wanted to share with you, and up to questions and debate after that. Thank you.
1: Excellent. Thank you. I'm now going to turn to Frederick Hoffman. You're the general manager for Benelux um, at Baxter. and Obviously, that's a company that produces products and services that are used in the healthcare sitting, uh, system, presumably in hospital settings. How do you see patient care fitting in the overall spectrum of healthcare that's delivered and if it has all of these benefits that we're talking about, how would you like policymakers to incentivize that kind of change?
4: Okay, thank you, and good afternoon, uh, everyone. Well, uh, let me start with this at Baxter. So, our mission is to save and sustain lives. Very simple mission, and we, we've tried to do that the past 80 years plus by uh, delivering innovations. Uh, to the market to, to treat patients that are critically and chron- chronically ill. Um, in various areas, for, for example, Baxter uh, was the first company to introduce commercially produced IV solutions or triple chamber bags uh, for parenteral nutrition, ready-to-use uh, bags, or uh, you know, peritoneal dialysis to treat patients uh, suffering from end-stage renal disease uh, at home. And as we were bringing uh, those innovations to the market, we believe that uh, to be truly patient-centric is not enough to just focus on, of course, quality and safety for the patient, but uh, we place a lot of importance on providing home-based solutions together with our products. Uh, and, and, and why is that? Why do we think that's so important for being uh, patient-centric? Uh, first of all, because... We, we see from many studies that uh, home-based solutions are described as being at least equivalent, if not sometimes superior in outcomes to, to hospital-based or acute uh, setting-based uh, therapies. And this, uh, among other reasons, because they, they help uh, avoid hospital acquired infection, of course, as patients don't have to go into the, the hospital environment. Secondly, because we believe uh, home-based uh, therapies are an answer, if not the, the biggest uh, answer to the growing need in our societies to ensure sustainable healthcare for the future that is uh, at an affordable cost to everyone, to society, to patients. And as home based therapies have proven to be more cost effective uh, to society, we, we believe that's the second reason why this is uh, patient centric. And the, the third one, and most important, of course, is because home based uh, solutions. Help, can help for those who choose uh, for those solutions to improve quality of life, as it enables, of course, patients to, to have their care being given in a more comfortable, familiar environment, surrounded by friends and family, and also in many cases, it allows patients to continue to work or exert the, the activities they were doing uh, before falling ill. So. You know, with all those reasons, and, of course, we see today now with the rise of the new technologies, you know, um, uh, with Internet and and, and all the monitoring and and, and self-care devices that are being developed, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, new ways to to facilitate uh, these these pathways. But still, we don't see those picking up as much as we would like them to to be picking up. And there are numerous reasons for that. uh, But we have a few recommendations we'd like to put forward to, to policymakers to probably help uh, unlock that potential, moving forward, and and to to list that, and I was actually very positively um, um, surprised by the list. Yeah, you 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 gave. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd like to pick on some of the points you you listed there that we see as, as really the, the the core elements to unlock. And the first one is education, as you said. Uh, I think um, education of healthcare professionals. Uh, we need to make sure um, we sort of. Uh, get out of the chicken and egg situation, in which we are that because of care has always been given in acute setting and because the teaching of new healthcare professionals is being made naturally by existing, experienced healthcare professionals, there is a sort of inherent bias that that new practitioners get more trained on hospital-based therapies as opposed to, to home ones. So I think there's something to think there as to really put in the curriculum very early in university uh, to, to force the, the teaching on, on home-based uh, therapies from the beginning. The, the second one is the education of the patient. And, and more than the education, I would like to even start from the information, proper information, and, and giving the choice to the patient. Because too often we hear of patients that we interview in, in hospital-based setting, when we ask them you know, why they chose this, as opposed to a home-based uh, therapy, that they were not even made aware that these therapies existed and, and of the ins and outs of those therapies. So we think that's another area to work on. And the, the third one you also mentioned is the incentives. Uh, we see in many healthcare systems throughout Europe. Um, the, the financing systems are not yet totally fairly uh, incentivizing the different options and, and, and in often cases, sometimes it does, but not in an aligned way for all the stakeholders. So meaning, and the doctor, and the nurses, and the hospital managers, and the patients, uh, need to have aligned incentives uh, to, to make that choice uh, in the most open and, and, and fair way. And, um, and lastly, uh, of course, um, is the, the legislative environment uh, regarding home care providers. That is uh, often lacking clarity and clear empowerment of integrated actors to perform this integrated care that is needed at home you know because of the the silo and the kind of cooperative uh, system that exists that separates the role of of many different actors in healthcare, which makes a lot of sense in in acute setting, but as we go to, to home home setting and we need you know, one person sort of covering the entire chain, you know, from delivering products, uh, devices and, and, and care. Uh, you know, we need the legislative framework to allow that in a more pragmatic way. Uh, and, and lastly, of course, in general um, providing more awareness uh, about the social and economic benefits of uh, those home-based therapies throughout uh, the continent to make sure that local policymakers uh, get sensibilized and, and make uh, their own move in that direction. Okay. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Let me now turn to Nicola Bedlington, you're the Secretary General of the European Patients Forum. Now several of our speakers have been talking about patient choice, patient empowerment that that home-based care can be equivalent and sometimes better health outcomes. Nobody likes being in hospital. And people who have to spend a lot of time there probably like it the least. So how do we ensure that patients feel confident and trust that high-level health care, quite complex things, can still be delivered in their home environment in a way that will contribute to their health? How do we pick up from patients that they've got the choice, that they feel informed and supported, and that what they get would be the same quality as if they were in a hospital environment?
5: Thank you, Tamsin, and good afternoon, everybody. I'm very happy to be here at Friends of Europe and Friends of Health. Um, Just just take a step back, first of all. Um, I mean, we're talking about healthcare delivery in the home, and of course, it's a very, very positive revolution, if you like, for all of the reasons we've heard this afternoon. But we also need to look at the reality across the European Union. And you mentioned universal health coverage. That is not a fact. For many patients across the European Union. And we need to start at the basics. And this is why EPF is really driving a strong campaign on universal health coverage using the backdrop of the sustainable development goals. Because if you don't get it right on health, you're not going to get it right on the other goals. So I'm not saying that that, that home care isn't valuable. On the contrary, it is. Mm. It's something we should strive towards for the sustainability, for the empowerment, for for, for patients really being at the centre of their own care, self-management. But we also need to be realistic about the diversity we have across the European Union. And I think that we need to look very seriously at how we can work with the sustainable development goals and universal health coverage. My next point is for... For the home care, for integrated care, for us to aspire to be doing things differently, to do things well, requires a lot of EU collaboration. And I was delighted to hear André's outline of what's been happening in health systems performance assessment. We need more of that. We need further interventions in this environment and we need to move away from this notion that somehow health doesn't matter in this town. And younger's thoughts that perhaps it can be a, a less of a priority are somehow framed around the social pillar. This will be an absolute disaster for health and the progress we've made over the last few years. We've mentioned patient empowerment and, of course, one of EPF's core areas, core pillars is patient empowerment, and we've done a lot of of academic work looking at the three tenets of patient empowerment, health literacy and quality information to patients the sort of relationship that patients want to have with their trusted health professionals and the notion of co-decision making and again Frederick alluded to that and then the third critical part is self-management which is where home care would come to the fore but we need to be a little bolder about actually making patient empowerment a strategy and you mentioned the report that Friends of Europe drove forward a couple of years ago looking at what we need to start what we need to stop and what we need to do differently I think, I believe that we could be a bit more ambitious in a European union context on patient empowerment to create that vital backdrop that all of us have been discussing today to really drive home care and integrated care in a better way. From our perspective, in terms of trust and confidence that patients need to have in home care solutions, we need to make sure that patients are involved right at the beginning in the design of those solutions. So technology is actually user-driven and not technology-driven, or just there for the sake of it. Um, And I think a lot of effort and emphasis needs to be placed on how we can actually engage patients in the development of innovation and new products and services Right at the very beginning, in fact, looking at unmet needs and how those needs could actually be addressed. And right through that life chain of innovation, a lot of exciting work going on there in the innovative medicines initiative space that could also be perhaps transposed into the technology area. As well, um, and then I think that um, the other piece that that is very very important is, is the human factor. We did a, an interesting piece of work a few years ago um, called Chain of Trust, and we worked with the health professionals, the doctors, the nurses, the pharmacists, patients, looking at some of the factors that would help enable um, technology to actually work in a home setting. And the quintessential human factor came to the fore. The new technology is vital. The education of patients and their families and communities, really, really key. But being able to link and and be able to reach out to a person, a professional that you can trust in that context was also very key, and, and, and solutions around telemedicines, etc., were also very warmly welcomed. So those are my key messages for today. It's, it's not the panacea, I think. Um, we need to be realistic across the spectrum of, of, of health systems, but clearly when it's coming to sustainability, there's a lot of a very, very important progress that could be made, but patient empowerment is core to that. Thank you for that, Nicola, and also reminding, as you said,
1: that Universal access even to quite basic health care is not a given in, in some Member States, and increasingly the health inequalities are, are an area that just we don't seem to be able to fix, despite our, our welfare systems. So I mean let me just pick up on some of the points that our, our panel have put on the table. Um, health systems are in a challenging position. Increased questions about sustainability, how do we make this happen? Home based care is an element in that. It's supportive of both patient empowerment and patient-centric care, but it requires a cultural change. It's going to require training and support for professionals. It will require support for patients, and it will require new metrics to understand how this is going to work, how it's delivered, and monitoring and support. You don't just give people the tools and then they go away and do it. So it is really a shift in the way the system is built. So quite a challenge to put on the table. As um, uh, Santiago has described to us, the benefits are there. Better health outcomes delivered in a more efficient, aligned way. So now let me open the floor to our audience. That's the point of the Café Costfire. The purpose is no death by PowerPoint, lively interaction. We've fed you, we now require you to work. So, who would like to kick off with either a comment or a question to our panel? Yeah, we, we, I, if, on your behalf, I will keep throwing questions, but if not, I'll pick up from the audience. Yes, we have a question here. And I, I am going to come to Christine in a minute, um, because I know that we spoke earlier about uh, medical evidence um, and economic decision-making. So I will come to you. Yes.
6: Yeah. Uh, good morning. Um, I'm not a healthcare expert. I'm actually a macroeconomist and working with countries most of the time when they have a healthcare reform idea or we think they should have healthcare reform. I'm working in the Commission in DG Could you G- explain to us
1: which organization you're from? I'm
6: working for the European Commission in DG ECFIN. DG ECFIN. Excellent. Thank you. And <clears throat> I'm sorry, <clears throat> I also need some you know, medical attention at some point. <laughs> um, <coughs> So the past few years I have worked with many countries on healthcare reforms, sometimes for years. And my question to to, to the panel is the following that if I look into what's happening in the healthcare system, including actually home based care, it is basically to move away services and treatments from hospitals as much as possible, for a number of reasons. One of them that hospital environment is very expensive to maintain because it's a very high standard and you know lots lots of you know additional costs. Now and outpatient care, home-based care, and all these things. What I see in most of the countries is that those the services are more determined by the existing capacities than by demand. So basically those, or if I want to be very impolite, vested interest that kind of surrounds these existing capacities is trying to maintain their business. And what we are talking about here is taking away business from them. So how do we work with this? Because most of the time, the capacity of those to resist this kind of changes is huge. The public is with them, and you talk about, you know, trusted healthcare provider and providing information. The first source of information is exactly those who have no interest in changing. And any other source is kind of questionable. I mean, if you go on the Internet, you know, the quality of the information is very difficult for a normal person to judge so how do we cope with this situation? How do we create an environment where these changes, which are good for the system as a whole, for society as a whole, not necessarily the individual uh, players, is actually happening?
1: Okay. I think I'll probably come to Santiago for, first and then Andre to respond on that. I mean, Santiago, you, you were part of a complete change.
3: Yeah, I, I, I wish I had just one single answer for that. Uh, we are talking about diversity across Europe. So there's no one single solution. Uh, it's, it's 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 very very complicated. But I fully agree with you that there is a misalignment of interests. Okay. So uh, first of all, I would like to say that mm, again, this is not a 100 meter race. This is like a marathon, and we are still running. Mm? We got to no point yet. I mean, and we are running for we've been running for 18 years. So. But necessarily, it implies a change in the mindsets of everybody. You were mentioning uh, uh, regulators, policymakers, all different stakeholders must change their mindsets and stop doing to start doing in a different way. And I, I can only think of one way of getting to that point, which is thinking about what is best, not for me, as a hospital, not for me as a primary care provider, no, not for me as a, but what is best for the citizen and what is best for the system as a whole. Because at the, at the end of the day, the, the, the patient or the, the citizen is one and the, the system should be just one. So don't think about the individual interests of each and every of the different providers, but think of the entirety of it, okay? A hospital is not a place to stay in a hospital is a place to do things and the approach here is about population health management if you are really able to understand what your citizens need then you will be able to tailor solutions that fit the individual needs of those citizens and then you will come to the conclusion that being in the hospital longer than necessary is no good for no one. Or then you will reach the conclusion that bringing more services closer to the patient homes, empowering primary care is something that benefits everyone. Then you will come to the conclusion that putting all the different people working together around the patient, community services provider, mental health providers, um, social care, all these people are also part of the system. Providing them with solutions, with IT, with common processes, with incentives <coughs> around the, the the citizen, that's the only solution. That's the only. But it implies in different places, different countries. It implies, you know, uh, political decisions or regulatory changes, things like that. Okay. <coughs> yeah, you know, it's a,
2: uh, it's it's exactly the 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 answer is so difficult because you know, I I had chance, you know. I'm, also practitioner in, the, in doing things, you know, and I did relatively big reform in the city of Krakow when I got the job, okay, let's, let's do more integration and so on. Then I, as a minister, I, I was called to emergency care reform and hospital reforms. My answer would be like, there would be two, two, two answers. One is the, as, as you rightly said, you know, you need to have all actors. So I think the, the best way to do it is just pull them all together on the same goal i mean the, i don 't believe that you can do hospital reform or emergency reform or primary health care reform. You need to do the, everything together and I think the approach you, you is, i think is my approach as well but unfortunately it doesn 't work in a number of countries because of of the all, all kinds of interests around this this reform process and so this will be the the, 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 the first example i mean the, the example from the past, which is uh, often uh, shows as a failure is a as a mental health reforms, You know, we have this, you know, uh, upside down ideas, you know, empty the big hospitals, you know, lets people go home and they, they couldn't find homes because nobody wanted them. You know, there was no social care. They was basically they were left on the streets. So we have the, 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 the let's go back to the new type of hospital, mental health hospitals and so on. So this and, and we should avoid this kind of mistakes because it's really the whole concept is undermined and then, of course it's difficult to go back again to the hospital, mental health care or community-based mental um, mental mental health care. The second problem, which I think is, was raised, you know, in, in, in all interventions, is uh, education, and you know, I'm in, in you know in discussing with a uh, s- few deans of school of medicines because I'm also coming from academia and I, I I grow up you know during my my. Most probably, the changes were much slower, I think in the six of my education, no much change you know just uh, just to remind, I was in the communist time in my country, so communist was very stable system, nothing changed, everything under control of Politburo but you know since I finished my medical school, this was uh, half century ago, not so bad, but twenty five plus years you know. The world changed completely. I mean, the speed of change is unbelievable. I mean, this is the and this is what what deans are telling me. You know, uh, for example, they said, you know, how you t- we discuss how you teach today anatomy. So one said, you know, we we decided that we teach anatomy from the using the uh, the devices which allow the uh, the future to do uh, endoscopy or or uh, surgery. So the student is in this medical school starting to understand the, the body of, of, of future patients, you know, f- this way. And I remember what was the techno culture shock. I, I, my, my training was in radiology the, the first before public health. You know, when I came to my surgery colleagues and I said, I can tell you this is the problem here when I put my the catheter the and said, you know, how you do it, you know, how you see things on the screen, you know, and you, 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 do, you, you do things in your hand. And today, this friend is doing, is one of the top uh, surgeons. And this opened the door for the very quick surgery, minim, uh, minimum invasive surgery, and so on and so on. And those changes happen so quickly. And I think the question is, you know, how we can help, you know, those days, you know, medical schools, professionals, to follow changes the way they are not afraid and they are not building the opposition because simply they don't know, you know, how I know as a cardiologist, if I prescribe something to my patient at home, you guys, you will take responsibility for the mistakes, you know, uh, because of sensors, because of the lack of, you know, I don't know mobile phone doesn't work, the internet provider doesn't provide, doesn't provide the, the technology. So all these things are culture change. And I think this is the question I think we should address, how to help all to get to the point, as you said, when we believe it's the way to go.
5: Okay. I could just add, add a couple of um, things. Um, the patient movement is obviously relatively well organized, but I think this is also something that needs to have the impetus <laughs> from the wider citizens. Um, and they need to become more engaged, because health eventually is is a political choice. and. Citizens are there to actually voice their perspectives and their ideas and, and vote the sort of leaders in that will follow the, the right way. And I think this hasn't been politicised in, 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 in the way that has actually made the impact. But I also agree that a multi-stakeholder approach and bringing people together to try and, and, and collaborate rather than look at vested interests is, is also really, really key. It sounds a little naive, but I think it's the only way to really sit around the table and move things forward constructively. Excellent. Frederick.
4: Yeah, and, and maybe to, to add as well, and, and I concur with my fellow panellists on all the points, I think very concretely um, there is something that is also necessary is a vision, and, and I think that's for the, the policymakers to, to provide that vision and leadership of where we want to end up 10 years from now, 5, 10, uh, 20 years from now, so that all the forces in the system can align to make that change happen. And I'll take the parallel if you take energy, you know, the move to green energy. You know, um, we don't necessarily have all the answers today, how are we going to produce all that green energy in the future? But the fact that policymakers in some countries make the decision, we're going to shut down these nuclear plants by these and these dates, automatically creates, uh, you know, a dynamic in in the the market, in the system, to, to know, okay, we will need to replace these and these, you know, energy production capacities, by something else, and therefore justifies investments and, and research et For me, it, it has to go the same way in healthcare. If policymakers clearly state we need to go from 100,000 beds in hospitals to 60,000, you know, in 10 years, um, then then automatically the system will adapt and prepare itself for that for that change. I think that's. Uh, but, you,
2: but the question to you know, okay, it's, it's, uh, I, I hear this often. You, you, you put the target, and the target will be reached. But I think my problem often with the reformers is, is that. The political cycle is too too short to get to the to this ten years project, you know. I was three years in the in the central government, the first things happened when I left. The next after me was said, okay, this gentleman was completely foolish, you know, we should go a different way. And of course, you know, the the doctors or nurses, those they invested already time, effort, you know, they spent nights to, to to learn new things. They they say, Okay, I would never trust, you know, in the kind of political leadership. And this is why I think it's the most probably why today, when we observe this, 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 this those changes, at least what we have seen in a number of countries now, they are in very much on local local level or or regional level. It seems that the link between the needs of the citizens and our or and also voters, finally, it it seems is closer to the to the leadership minds. And maybe there's also i don 't know is, is a model to go, but but at least what we what we see and, and, and uh, we, we, Scotland is a, an example you know it's a, nothing about u k but scotland uh, it's, a, it's a you see the leadership there you see the consequence and then, then it seems that politicians are there taking kind of wide step approach, not everything today but in next year, so I think this is maybe
1: i I have another intervention from the floor, so i 'm going to
7: bring them in, yes. Hello, I'm Alberto Domingo from ECPC, European Cancer Pricing Coalition, and I have a question specifically uh, addressing Santiago Delgado, because I also happen to be from Valencia, from the region where the hospital is based, uh, and I, I'm very curious about that, uh, about the model and, uh, and the how things are developing right now, because I'm aware that the first hospital that was set up uh, under that model is being returned to public or n- public exploitation by the beginning of next year, and I know there are, there is uh, there are lots of challenges in that debate of whether that model is best or not uh, for the exploitation of the of the hospitals in the region, and there are lots of. Uh, uh, interesting and, and deep com, uh, conversations and debates about that, but it gets very political as well. So I wanted to know uh, what's your view on what are the challenges of that model and uh, what, uh, to what extent that's uh, politicized or uh, there are views uh, that can be legitimate uh, of the uh, actual uh, benefit of such models.
1: I mean, and then I'll give you an opportunity after Santiago you've spoken, we'll come back to Nicola, because you are highlighting this question that health is a result of political choices. And we have this, this question about short-term response. You've been working for 18 years, and you've said that you're only partway along the marathon. Santiago.
3: I, 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 will, I will answer very shortly, not, not to capitalize on the discussion around us. We can talk later if you want. Yeah, but um, um, we are uh, talking here that... Uh, what we are talking about is public service, so it's, it's, it's engaging with governments, okay? So uh, our, our only field of expertise is providing governments with solutions. Some governments may be happy, some governments for political reasons may decide that this is not their model because they prefer to return this into fully hands of public management. Uh, we, of course, disagree with that idea because we have uh, proved that we are more efficient, we save 25%, we are 25% less costly with higher quality outcomes and that's data, it's, it's public data, it's not our made up data, it's public data because we, we report to the public sector and our data is publicly accessible and it's published by the government themselves, but it is purely political, okay, so... Uh, The government now running in the region of Valencia is, well, they are in a very left position and they are against any sort of collaboration between private and public in healthcare. And, well, they are our client. We will try to convince them that they are making a mistake. and, And, but this is a different debate. Okay, so... Maybe it's better if we talk about uh, healthcare outcomes, patient satisfaction, and, and, and things like that, and we can, I can explain to you. And it's good to meet a, a Valencian in Brussels. Okay. But,
1: Santiago, you have again highlighted for us this point that health is impacted by political decision making, which is colored by ideology, it's colored by short term thinking, political mandates. Um, I mean, if, if you were involved in a national government for three years, Andre, you've already outlasted most health ministers. The World Health Organization says the average life expectancy of a minister of health is 18 months. So just you know, <laughs> you are almost double that, so you were, you were doing, you're
3: doing something right. We
1: have dealt,
3: with, we have dealt already with 10. 12 ministers? Or in, 18,
1: in the 18 years. So that gives you a sense of time frame. Andrea, you talked about technology changing and knowledge changing and the difficulty for doctors to keep up with that. But imagine if the top of your organization comes in with new ideas you know, every 12 to 18 months. It's extremely challenging. But Nicola, let's come back to... You know, in a way, the patient is one of the stability factors in a system. Politics changes... Healthcare professionals you know, follow certain patterns. But the patient is maybe the red thread through it. Maybe patient empowerment helps to equalize these political changes.
5: Certainly on, on, on an individual level, but, but also on a collective level, because increasingly we see also at local, regional, national level, as well as at European level, the role of, of, of strong patient organizations as, as, as conveners. Of bringing the different stakeholders together to, to try and move forward together because what's at stake is really their lives at the end of the day. But putting that to one side, coming back to some of the comments of colleagues, in the short term is that we're all living in terms of, of the political agenda. <laughs> Again, from where EPF is sitting, we see a real opportunity with the Sustainable Development Goals because the Sustainable Development Goals are looking at achieving things by 2030 and looking at that kind of long-term buy-in. And again, coming to your reference of green energy and renewable energy, if you look at what DG Environment is doing and working with the community, with the environmental community, really looking at that as the, as the framework and looking at the indicators that are needed to move forward and measure, you talked about metrics. I think we've got a lot to learn, and I think the SDGs provide a fantastic framework, not just looking at the SDG 3 on health per se, but looking at the elements of health in every single other SDG and health in all policies, in effect. Mm. Andre, can I come back to you
1: and... and on this issue of you know, politics and evidence-based policy and the readiness of national policymakers to respond to evidence, you're producing lovely reports. What do you think the uptake is? I mean, you've, you've mentioned that actually the innovation, the buzz, is often at local and regional level. So what happens to your lovely papers? <laughs>
2: Okay, so no, it's uh, it's exactly what 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 knowing me, you know that I I, I am not uh, only publishing. I try to 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 make things happen, you know. So, so what we do? I mean, this is a good example. You know, we, we call this uh, nationalization of European policies. I mean, we, we 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 go back to the member states. We recently were in, in in Budapest when when Hungarian minister asked for the advice. You know how to. Improve the, the measurement or the health system performance approach in Hungarian setting. So we did this also with Slovenia. Other countries are, are are interested as well. So I think this is the way, which is kind of. Uh, I think we can make the European cuisine and try to help with the with the regional national uh, implementation. This is the the way, kind of working. One one example. The second example is. You know, uh, let's let's share knowledge. And I have uh, next week there will be a conference in integrated in in Dublin, 8th, uh, 10th of May. When Commission is also supporting this, to to yes. lessons learned. But basically, this is also what I believe. I mean, uh, I said one day to my mayor when I was in city cracker. You know, let's. Give me a few tickets I can pay to my colleagues, go to other city and learn how to do things, you know. And then really we, we we learned this, you know, just going there, spending two, three days with people there and, and learn and, and this is the second good example there. So so let's 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 explain, you know, the sec the, the, the other way of helping, you know, we have now Supporting instrument for member states, I mean, st- uh, structure system which member states can ask for help. So, we, we are giving kind of again, not commission, but we are hiring experts from member states, you know, going there, helping people. They already did things like, like you did. You go to maybe one day to Poland, I hope, and you tell guys, this is how this may work. By the way, some countries also decided to put the integrated health systems, uh, or patient center system as a part of a structure. Uh, fund support, you know. So, so I think it's the case of Poland, Slovakia, when somehow health ministers, or, I don't know who, who, regional ministers, they decided, okay, let's pull some money from European funds to help with this exercise. So this would be the, the other example. But I think the, 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 we really have to, I think we are in the moment that we agree there's a way to go, but we have to be also very careful the way we, okay, I am religion, but but it is, is that, that, that we, we don't sell this as a religion. I mean, we really have to have facts behind. So when I think Baxter, of course, I think about the IV. It's a, I learned this in Belgium that you know in a nurse when when they put a device in, the, it is not your device, but they still call Baxter. You know, so so it's, it's a it's a way you know to so we need somehow to make this no more promotion Baxter, but to make the the this model applicable to the vein of the, of the health systems. So basically, people not just believe, but they know how to put the, the needle, I'm using, sorry, for nurses, uh, doctors, the needle to the vein of the system, and make this workable. And, and, and we need technology, we need skills, we need all these 11, at least, maybe more elements to, to pull together. So let's do this together. And, and I think this, all actors are here, and I think no one should be excluded. I mean, we miss maybe a uh, doctor or nurse sitting around the table because they are the important element in this, in this success mm-hmm. story.
1: Frederick, before I come back to Santiago, you're already working for three countries, your your job title is Benelux. How do you see... So you're dealing with different national administrations, and each of those three countries have quite different health systems. How do you see the role of Europe in helping policymakers to shift their thinking or be exposed to new ideas or new models from other places?
4: Well, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in the way Europe is working, so I'm probably not, uh, you know, best place to answer that question. But what I think uh, can certainly be facilitated is, is the exchange of best practices and, 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 and guidelines that, you know, Creation of guidelines at the level of, of uh, you know, uh, healthcare professionals. Um, as I, as I said, also sort of, um, you, you talked about we need evidence. Well, you know, evidence is, is costly and and and, and, and complex and lengthy to to generate. I think, you know, European authorities can help uh, national uh, authorities, you know, get access to that evidence and maybe you know be the the generator of that evidence that then gets used by everyone to, to you know, to, to make their own decisions, um, and on the level of education. But again, I'm not an expert of how far Europe can 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 set guidelines there. But but I think probably they can be a stimulus to to education because we have so much mobility of healthcare professionals across the countries uh, to make sure there is a you know base curriculum that includes. Uh, proper education on those uh, home-based uh, therapies and
3: models.
1: Yeah. Okay. Santiago, I saw you were quite excited by some of the things Andre explained.
3: No, actually, yes, and I appreciate that. you, you, you mentioning Poland and, and Slovakia. Actually, tomorrow I will be in Bratislava, by the way. <laughs> no, but the, the, the point is that I wouldn't like to leave this room without uh, making a reflection, okay, and thinking of Europe. Uh, definitely healthcare should be one of the biggest enablers for the construction of the European Union, okay? And, and we must think about citizens again. I mean, please think about that idea because if we think of patients, maybe it's, it's late. A patient is when you already need the, the, the system, but we, first we are all Europeans, we are citizens, okay? So uh, the vision, you mentioned the vision before. Maybe an enabler for this change to happen could be something that we are developing now, and is this population health approach? It is about classifying risk adjusting our patients, understanding the levels of risk associated to each and every individual and allocating those individuals into different layers of morbidity. And then being able to identify what us as providers, me as a government, me as a regulator, what is it, it, necessary to be done to prevent patients, citizens, from scaling up in that pyramid of chronicity. That's the only way of making the system sustainable in the long run. How to keep citizens as healthy as possible away from the hospital as much as possible, and providing care the right setting, right time. Home care. Home care, of course, is a solution. But we will need to understand the socio-demographics as well of each individual, because maybe home care is not fit for purpose for every individual. So we need to understand our citizens. We need to know them in detail, okay? You ask me about how many beds do we have in our hospitals now, and my answer is I don't know. Because we up, uh, close and open words upon necessity. I know that today we have 300 patients hospitalized at home because they meet those requirements to be taken care of at home, and they don't want to be in the hospital. So it's about changing the scope and getting through information systems doctors and nurses, designing the right pathways, designing the right processes, understanding the needs and the characteristics of our individuals. And that's 21st century. Why healthcare is so far behind? In banking, you can access your account everywhere in the world. Why not? You can access your medical record from everywhere in the world. So that's, that's, that's what Europe has to do, in my opinion. Okay. I hope
2: next week you, you, you will get good news from the digital single market, not more because it's a let 's wait turn off just, just
1: please yes go ahead we 're in the last two or three minutes, so yes, go ahead I,
0: um, I wonder you don 't you... Friends of Europe, you say you want to promote research and research that can help these changes. What do you do? You never talked about precision medicine and this uh, enormous paradigm shift towards a different kind of medicine, predictive medicine, make uh, patients more empowered anyway because uh, it's more and more tailored to... uh, Individualisation of therapies, and, and it involved nutrition, it involved the whole behaviors. So you, can you um, provide a, a ways that policy at EU uh, can help with this? Because uh, I've been involved in the PPP opinion. Uh, for, I see that regional fund didn't want to get involved in restructuring of hospital financing. Well... Hospital can't move because they are stuck with 30 years contract on financing. They have difficulties. And um, if the regional funds could help with this kind of reform, maybe that could help changing the organizational uh, critical institutions because at the end of the day, 80% of the budget is with hospitals. So another solution might be also all this uh, portal. Uh, the EU is uh, promoting portal. Uh, patient portal or health portal. And um, technology uh, adaptive platforms can be also uh, promoted with this kind of portal and help to federate hospital changes and help centralize a number of services for group of hospitals that might speed up the reform of the expensive structures. And uh, the second thing is um, A lot of uh, decisions are very uncertain. You say it's good to empower patients, but for instance, in cancer, uh, I come from US uh, doing research part-time there. Tumor sequencing versus uh, genetic testing, it's uh, it's still very uncertain who can benefit of this. So um, it's good the the patients realize too that the stage of evidence is uh, in development. Okay. We are
1: running out of time, and you've left us with a a series of open questions that we obviously aren't going to be able to fix uh, in this um, element. But if I gather them all together, you are linking us back to this issue about evidence for change, but uncertainty about where the momentum for change should come from. And this comes back to the clear message that we've had today and in some of the previous working papers from Friends of Europe, that incentives matter. What the system incentivizes is the behavior you get at the the end result. So if I could just ask for two words from each of our um, panelists, just just to remind us, we've heard about the change in the system and the incentives that matter. What's the one thing that you would like to see happen to encourage a shift towards home-based care? Who'd like to kick us off? (laughs) Frederick, you're closest (laughs) to me. You're the first victim.
4: no. Well, I, I think um, the, the realization, again, as a conclusion maybe to, to what I said, that, that home care is, in our eyes, um, the solution to end the patient-centric model mm. and also a more sustainable, affordable uh, healthcare care system in, in the future. And, and you know, if, if that, uh, you know, can, the one thing to change is if that can be uh, placed, fixed in the minds of all the, the stakeholders in the healthcare system across Europe, uh, you know, that will help kick-start the rest.
2: Andrei? Uh, for me, education, education, education.
5: And for me, I think uh, patient empowerment, not surprisingly. And just to highlight that it, it, it isn't linear and it is very, very individual. I'm not saying that, you know, it's a stamp that people are placed with, you know, if they're empowered or not empowered. And there's a massive amount of evidence and a massive amount of very serious academic research that unpacks that for
3: all of us. Santiago. And for me, it's hard to say, but maybe cultural change and ask policymakers to make decisions thinking that they are the patient, thinking that they are the citizen.
1: Okay. Well, you've left us in a a very nice point, to reminder that if we all would like the best for ourselves as patients and design a system with that in mind, the system and the outcomes would definitely be... Be different. I'd like to close this debate by picking up on some of the, the elements particularly that Nicola has said, which is that universal health care in Europe, it's in our constitutions, it's written into the, fundamental, uh, the Convention on Fundamental Rights and it is worth fighting for and it is clearly not being delivered equally across Europe and as we are moving towards the end of this mandate or in the second half of this mandate and we start thinking about the plans for the next one, I call upon all stakeholders to be aware that public health is a success story for Europe. Whether it's cleaner air, it's safer food, it's cleaner water, it's faster access to drugs, it's better evidence for decision-making, whether it's thinking about the health workforce of tomorrow, it is a success story. And if we're going to make the case for citizens that Europe adds value to their lives rather than meddling bureaucracy, Public health, I think, is our best way to do it. And I hope that at Friends of Europe we can work with all of you in the next 18 months or so to make sure that message gets to the ears that need to hear it. Thank you all, and thank you to our panel.